Behold the joys of late-stage capitalism. <laughs> oh! Holy shit, babe, this is amazing. So Harlow is a ghost town. Yes, but we have a vision for this place. All it needs is young blood, people like us, tired of the big city, looking for a fresh start. Dante, for what we were paying just to park the food trucks in Austin and get the whole corner over there, that is insane. Our restaurant will be first, and we have to just inspire more people to follow. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by TexasRealFood.com. Find out more at the end of this episode. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Lone Star Play podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Our guest today is David Blue Garcia. He is the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a new film on Netflix right now. You can watch it. It just premiered February 18th. Jump on Netflix and watch it. It's a great film. I had a phenomenal time watching it. Definitely a lot of scares, a lot of blood, everything you want out of a movie like this. Uh, so great interview. You're going to learn about some facts about the original film and a little bit about the new film. So our format was basically just looking at the original film through the lens of this new one. So uh, sit back, relax. It's a really great interview. So without further ado, let's jump to the interview. But before we do, real quick, let me tell you about our social media. Okay, guys, please check us out. Lone Star Plate TX on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. And more importantly, the notification bell so you can be notified of all the new videos we release every week. We break down the episodes into clips, and we also have just YouTube-exclusive interviews. We go out and about, y'all. All right. Without further ado, let's jump to this interview, okay? David Blue Garcia, director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix right now. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Well, um, look, I figured this is what we would do. Um, I, I thought we would uh, take a look back at the original film, but through the lens of your film. So people, you know, get a little nostalgic here, but also learn about you and, and this new movie that I got a chance to see. I got to say, I'm not really a, a horror movie guy because I get scared very easily. Yeah, yeah. But man, your, your film was great, man. I really got to admit there was definitely a couple moments I had to look away, but it was too late. It, like the damage was done. I was like, oh, I, I know what you're talking about, <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah. great job. This is a movie, I think, even for people who aren't into horror films, to be honest. Thank you. Yeah, please tell more people because it's also just a very entertaining movie, I feel like. It's like a thriller. 100%. I wanted to make it, you know, people talk about movies as rides, you know, but I always think they mean like a roller coaster or something like that. I wanted this movie to be that kind of janky carnival ride that you're not sure is going to make it. You know what I mean? And you kind of like the bolts are coming out and it's like yeah. kind of rusty and that you look down, the operator doesn't look like he's, uh, you know, completely sober. Uh, that's what I wanted this movie to feel like to an audience. Well, mission accomplished, my man. Mm -hmm. That's exactly. That's a great description, uh, to be honest with you. And perfect for Texas, too. Which, by the way, I'm in Texas. Are you in Texas as well? I'm, yeah, I'm here in Austin right now. Austin. I'm in Dallas. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Look at that. Texas boys. Well, look, at the very end, I'm going to have you give a few favorite places that you like to eat there in Austin. At the oh, end. God, don't put so, me on the so spot. Be, 
Well, you can think about it. You got a little time to, to think. Yeah. one place. There's got to be one place you go out to eat. You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to, uh, I love going to June's on South Congress. It's just this nice little restaurant that I enjoy. And then I'm going to Matt's El Rancho uh, tonight. Yeah. And uh, with actually with Kim Hinkle, uh, the uh, writer of the original film. So we're, wow. we're going to break some bread before we have a little screening tonight. I like it. Or some chips yeah. and salsa. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's the that, bread. That, Mexico. That's that's the bread in Mexico. <laughs> or, or sorry, of Texas, because they don't eat that in Mexico. They eat chips and salsa down there. Nah, yeah, some, but, not as much in some places, but yeah. No, no, more like a, I don't know. You're right. It's more tortillas that I dip in the salsa in Mexico. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, well, look, uh, you'll pretty much get the format of, um, of what we're doing, David, um, as we go here. So after the first question, you'll understand the format of, of what we're doing here. So. Okay. All right. So look, the original was inspired by a Christmas shopping crowd. So I'm quoting uh, Toby uh, Hooper here. There were these big Christmas crowds. I was frustrated. And I found myself near a display rack of chainsaws. and I just kind of zoned in on it. I did a rack focus to the saws and I thought, I know a way I could get through this crowd really quickly. What inspired your film? <laughs> oh man well i i didn't have uh qu quite a moment like that that's i actually hadn't heard that story that's really awesome uh what inspired my film was uh you know fede alvarez calling me up and saying hey are you ready are you ready to direct, direct this movie you know and i could not say no i mean it was literally the equivalent of a helicopter landing on my lawn and then saying you have five minutes to pack your bags get in we're going to bulgaria you know um, and growing up with this film, uh, with the legacy of these films, I, you know, I, I couldn't say no. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great answer, by the way. Uh, Leatherface is allegedly based on a real person that Hooper knew. Quoting Hooper again, the idea actually came from a doctor I knew. I remember that he'd once told me this story about how when he was a pre-med student, the class was studying cadavers and he went into the morgue and he skinned a cadaver and made a mask for Halloween. Jesus, the seventies, dude. We decided Leatherface would have been would have a different human skin mask to fit fit each of his moods. So, was your Leatherface based on anyone other than the past Leatherface, or was it based on or inspired, or what was it based on or inspired by? This Leatherface is based on the original Leatherface from the movie, and you know, it's like really thinking about what he would do fifty years later. Um, he's been living in this orphanage, being taken care of by this woman for all this time. And, you know, we understand that she's maybe kept him out of trouble mostly, but, you know, there's been times when he's got out and, and caused some trouble throughout the years. Um, but I think his motivations in the first film are mainly dictated by his family, who he seems to be afraid of, and they seem to sort of control him as like sort of a guard dog, you know, for the property um, and, and in this film, he doesn't have the family necessarily. So the dynamics a little bit different. And so Leatherface is, uh, left with his own motivations in the film as, as you'll see, um, at the beginning. So there's a reason why he goes on his rampage. Love it. Great answer, man. Um, Toby Hooper act really wanted a PG rating. This, I had no idea when I looked this. Never heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> Much of the violence in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is suggested rather than directly depicted. This is because Hooper was hoping for a PG rating so that the film could reach a wider audience. There was no PG-13 at the time. Uh, so he was told he could help his cause if he limited the amount of on-screen blood. And Hooper later no joked, as you watch the film, notice there's probably only about two ounces in the entire original. 
So how many ounces of blood did y'all go through? I would wager the first shot with blood has more than the entire original film. I, I, I would agree. We used a lot of practical blood. I mean, we're talking, I don't have, I wish I could get a report, but I mean, (laughs) I mean, they had, they were rolling in tanks of blood. I mean, I had like, you know, like those stupid look tanks full of blood and I had just giant barrels of blood i mean you literally you know in the bus massacre alone i think we we ran out one day and had to uh, go to on an emergency run to go get more from another uh, vendor um so yeah we we went all out with the blood and that's because in the 70s you know audiences were different yep. they hadn't seen as much and you could really scare them with very little um which psychological horror is you know very effective as we know the mind will will fill in the gaps and often be scarier than what you can actually show but you know this is this is 2020 2022 and audiences have seen everything they're desensitized so um the part of the fun of this genre is the kills and the creative kills and and really shocking people with with gore and with blood and that's why we leaned into the practical effects because you can really feel um that it's real you know rather than like a CGI effect or some kind of CGI blood spray the practical um just really jumps off the screen at you so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Again, there were some moments, man, where I'm just like, oh, my. Oh, I can't believe that happened to somebody. Like, it feels real, man. Like, they're just, yep. woo. yeah, it's running through my mind right now. Honestly, I got to focus here. OK, so whew, there was some definitely some moments, man. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was not the original title for the original film. So Head Cheese, named for the scene in which the hitchhiker details the process of how that particular pork product is made, was the original then it was changed to the menacing working title of Leatherface. Were there any other titles discussed for your film? I think they always just wanted to stick with, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think we dropped the the yeah. in this version. So that differenti- differentiates it from the first. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's just so you can let the fans know that this is what that story. Is. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just an easy way to to identify and pull out the people who want to see that story. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, The original is not a true story. So though the real crimes of Ed Gene, I don't know how you said Gene, Gene, Gene or Gene. I don't know. Yeah. Gene. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Uh, Did influence Hooper and Hinkle in their writing. The idea that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is itself based on a true story is something that grew out of the marketing of the film. Uh, any true story beats or elements to your film that you can reveal that were sort of inserted? Um, well, I think the main thing that uh, the first thing I brought on as a director when I read the script is the cell phone scene in the bus massacre. Because <laughs> that originally wasn't there in the script. And I thought, you know, in, in our day and age, everyone would be live streaming. Like as soon as there's a fight or someone yelling in public or anyone acting out, everyone starts filming it, live streaming it. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to add that to the movie and I think it's realistic. And I also think it's kind of funny and a little bit of a commentary on our culture. Um, because you think that the phone somehow will protect you from dangerous things. Um, but it's not going to protect you from Leatherface, unfortunately. So I, I want to maybe say that there could be potentially an Easter egg in that scene on the phone. I don't know. I just, I noticed something quick. Yeah. If you look closely, yeah. If you look closely at the phones, give it a second viewing you'll and read some of the messages and comments. You'll see a couple of Easter eggs in there. So yeah. Yeah. I know. I was like, very cool. Great job. 
yeah great great uh that was a very cool scene by the way yes we hope you're enjoying this interview with david blue garcia texas chainsaw massacre is out on netflix now check it out before we get back to the interview i just quickly want to tell you about our restaurant of the week mama fried it's a great food truck in south austin off manchac road um they serve an assortment of fries topped with Leroy and Lewis barbecue. That's right. You heard me right. It's absolutely delicious. Please check it out. We actually have an interview with them coming out soon, so be on the lookout. All right, guys, let's get back to the interview with David Blue Garcia. Again, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is out on Netflix, y'all. Check it out. Enjoy. Okay, that's $18.99. Unless I can interest you in a shirt or two. There you go. Whatever happened to her? Is she still alive? She became a ranger here in Texas. She must have looked for that maniac for more than 30, 40 years. So she, she found him? He was wearing a mask. Not easy to locate someone if you don't know what they look like. Um, Gunnar Hansen was not the original Leatherface. When he first heard that the film was being made, Hansen, then a graduate student, Austin, was told he'd be great for the role, but it was already cast. Then the original Leatherface quit. Hansen, who stood six foot four and weighed 300 pounds, won the role from Hooper on site afterwards. So who is, or what can you talk about the Leatherface in this film? Like who, the actor who behind it, I don't know, you know, how much we can get into that. Yeah, we would have loved to have, used Gunnar Hansen, but unfortunately he's already passed. So, you know, we, we found Mark Burnham and in a casting session and, you know, right away, he's got the physicality. I think he's six foot six. He's a hefty guy. He's a big guy. He's got really interesting hands and, and forearms that just kind of, you know, there's just something interesting about them, something off about them. And, uh, he was just also a really intelligent actor and really fascinated with the character and, you know, you need someone passionate like that to come in and bring the performance behind the mask, you know, because it, it, they could just phone it in, right? He's just wearing a mask and you just move around. But like, he was really performing. He was really thinking about it, um, about what Leatherface would do, um, how he would behave. So it was great to have Mark Burnham on set uh, doing that work for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. you're behind a mask, right? Like it's... It's yeah, hard, right? To yeah, it's hard to bring a performance, but from, from out behind the mask. And I yeah. think great job. No, that's all, that actually brings me to the very next question. Sort of ties in. So Hanson's leather face was inspired by a real mental patients. Mm -hmm. When Hooper wanted the character to squeal like a pig, Hanson went out into the country and studied a friend's pigs. Then to capture the mental instability of the character, he went to an Austin mental hospital and studied the movements of the patients there, which he then incorporated into his performance. So what character development went into creating your version of Leatherface? I think you kind of touched on it there. Were there any other aspects or do you know anything that he did personally to sort of? Yeah, I think that, that would be a great question to ask Mark. Unfortunately, I don't know everything he did for his process. I don't know if he like bragged about it. Like, guys, I was out oh, he was, for 12 days, you know, I don't know. He was a pretty, he was a pretty humble guy. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't out there bragging. And, you know, I was, I was pretty busy with, 
you know, the apparatus in a film. Yeah. Yeah. Running the rest of the film and kind of catching up. But uh, (laughs) I do remember him saying um, very briefly, and he kind of said it in like a low tone. And he said, you know, I was, we were trying to show him how to use the chainsaw. And he said, Oh, I've used plenty of chainsaws. And I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But he said it like a really, this is over folks. Really kind of sinister way. And I was like, all right, Mark, go for it. Wish I'd have known this before. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, Leatherface's victims treated him as an outsider behind the scenes on the original. There's more to this. So during the filming, none of them would talk to me or be anywhere near me until they were dead, uh, uh, Hansen later recalled. These behind-the-scenes observants actually produce some intense on-screen results. For example, when Jerry discovers Leatherface's slaughter room and then he meets the man himself, the scream he lets out is genuine. It was apparently the first time he had seen Hanson in full costume. Were there any tactics like this used on your set? You know, I, I don't I don't think we had anything quite like that. I mean, I think all the actors had sort of seen him in makeup and, you know, you know, sometimes he'd be waiting, uh, waiting for a shot and you'd you'd kind of look over and you'd see him sitting in the tent, just like with the mask on and like you know, it's full drenched in blood. And the thing is you'd look over and you'd be like, okay, that's kind of creepy. But then you'd see him uh, pull up a diet Coke with a straw in it and drink through the map. And then you'd realize it's just a movie, you know what I mean? But uh, there were plenty of times where just kind of like late at night, three in the morning, I would round a corner and I'd see him standing there all six foot six, you know, just full makeup. And I'd be like, I'd, I'd get a little, a little bit of an instinctual shock, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I did try to keep him away from the actors, especially when we were doing like the suspense scenes and some stuff like that. I do remember when Sarah Yarkin was under the bed. Um, she's hiding under the bed or in a closet for quite a while. Uh, I tried to, uh, I mean, she she actually liked to stay under there. She didn't want to come out from, you know, between takes. She's like, I just want to be under here. This is, this is the scene. So she would stay under there all day, you know, and... Whenever, you know, whenever Mark or Leatherface would come in the room, she would only see his boots. You know what I mean? It was all her perspective from under the bed. So I don't know. I think that was probably pretty effective in her process um, to keep them separated in that way. Yeah, man. Wow. That's fascinating. Wow. That's yeah. a commitment right there. Man, that would mm-hmm. scare the shit out of me. I couldn't have done that. Props to her. Uh, yeah. By the way, right? <laughs> Props to her. Uh, Leatherface actually wears three different masks in the original supposedly we we touched on earlier a little bit but the only way for him to sort of convey his different emotions so though his name would suggest a singular horrifying visage leather face actually wears multiple uh mask in the film so what can you tell us about the mask or masks in this film yeah the mask in this film is a little bit different it comes from it comes fresh off one of the characters that we're introduced to and you know we wanted the look to be a little bit different in the first film it's like the mask is it looks like it's you know dried and sewn and kind of leathered a little bit um but this one is it's like what would it look like if you just cut someone's skin off and it was still bloody and it was still fresh and it's and you put it on your face so you think he cuts little little holes and wraps it around his ears you know and that's how it stays on um, and I guess he kind of holds it up to the sun and lets it kind of bake onto his skin a little bit. And you can imagine by the end of the film, it's starting to, to smell a little bit, starting to rot, you know, and that's something you can't communicate through the film is, is how bad he smells, you know, by the end of the film and how terrifying that would be, um, to, to, to encounter, you know, but, um, 
yeah just the stench right when he went good god and then he kills you right exactly yeah (laughs) that's a horrible way to go uh, so yes, the the saw was real in the original film, uh, mm-hmm. though its teeth were removed for some shots. The saw Hanson wielded in the film right. was indeed a working chainsaw, and in some instances, it did put some of the cast members, you know, whatever. Some of the scenes was close. So I meant you you mentioned earlier about teaching uh, mm-hmm. your actor how to you know work work the chain. So y'all use real chainsaws through this. Yeah. So I was told we had one of the original models from the first film. You know, the first film might have. Oh, wow had multiple saws used for the filming usually you have multiple you know props or saws even on a low budget movie um so the one of the main saws we had the star of our film was an original you know poland saw and we were using it quite a bit um i you know i featured it in many shots it was kind of it it was hard to work with It, it barely wanted to start sometimes um and when it did start we didn't know how long it would run for, <laughs> you know, so it was uh, it was a joy to work with, but it was probably the loudest thing I've ever heard. Like once you turn that saw on, you can't give direction anymore. I mean, it's all you hear. It's like a it's like a motorcycle, you know, it's louder than a motorcycle, just yeah. freaking rumbles. Yeah. And uh, and also it gave off so much smoke and fumes that we could if we were shooting indoors, we could only run it for like a minute or two before everyone was choking you know what I mean? So I, I imagine I, I joked with the producers. I was like, well, maybe he should just go onto the bus, turn the saw on and just stand there for about a minute. And then everyone's just going to drop dead from asphyxiation. You know what I mean? So, and they were like, nah, that's not a good massacre. You know? So anyway, I'm glad we did the way we did. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, some of the windows get, you know, yeah. Crack a window, please. That's yeah, 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 it's a little a window. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the narrator uh, in the original film is a young John Larroquette. Um, Hooper asked Larroquette to imitate Orson Welles for his reading. And while he didn't quite get that, what the actor ultimately provided worked wonders. Uh, what was the idea or was the idea to always bring John Larroquette back? Well, I mean, I'm told by I'm told by so many people and fans that when they hear when they watch the original and they hear his voice, it really lends to the authenticity and the idea that this was a real story. Um, And, and it's part of the creepiness that sets off the tone of that film. And we thought like, what would be better? I mean, to get him again and to, to introduce it to a new generation. Um, And so when he agreed, we were like, you know, thumbs up and he came in, he was all smiles. He was, super amused that the first job he did in Hollywood is calling him back almost 50 years later. Um, and I'll tell you, he, he did one take and he sounded perfect. And as a director, you're insecure. So you just have to be like, well, let's get another one for safety. Yeah. Yeah, Just in case. And, and he laughed and he was like, he was like, well, you guys all say that. And, uh, but I'll, he's like, I'll do another one. And we use take one anyway. So, um, (laughs) He was excellent to work with, and and I really love the way the film starts. That's awesome, man. Well, look, uh, David, this has been absolutely amazing. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to you know answer our questions uh, about the film. Really excited about it. It's premiering on Netflix uh, February eighteenth. I think when our podcast comes out, it just it's already out. So go see the film. Please watch it. Anything else you want to say, uh, David, about the film before we go? 
Uh, I mean, just, it's a lot of fun. Tell your friends. I, I recommend watching it with a bunch of people because it's just, that's the way to watch this film. It's just the energy and the crowd and getting scared together in a living room uh, would be the best way to, to see the film. So awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, David. Texas proud. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Please enjoy the rest of your interviews. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more who are using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, visit our website, lonestarplate.show. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time.